All right, good evening once again, friends. I'm looking forward to preaching to you tonight. I don't have one specific text I'm going to be in this evening. I'm actually going to be all over the Bible. Uh, this is uh, maybe a little bit different than something that I'm normally used to preaching. I'm doing more of a topical uh, message tonight. But I wanted to preach to you to, this evening on the topic of social distancing. And you may be wondering, what in the world does that have to do with the Christian experience? Of course, one of the recent buzzwords that has become part of our vocabulary is social distancing, which we have learned over the past few days refers to the restricting of people's daily routines to help stop uh, the spread of a contagious disease. So during our recent pandemic, we have seen several government mandates that deal with the closing of schools and restaurants and airlines, movie theaters and gyms, and basically any place where people meet in public. We've seen cities like New York and San Francisco order shelter-in-place restrictions on people. And of course, uh, now Buncombe County as well, where we are here in Candler. Uh, people all over the country are being forced to self-quarantine, to stay home, to avoid crowds and so on. And if it's uh, anything like it is at your house, it's tough for me because, of course, everything has been canceled, including my most favorite time of year, March Madness. Uh, no NBA, no Major League Baseball, every sport imaginable has uh, been canceled out there. Now, we, what we have seen taking place all over the world with respect to social distancing is quite unprecedented as people gather their groceries and their loved ones and hunker down. I dug up some recent data. Listen to these numbers from John Hopkins University. Nearly one billion people, they say, in North America and Europe are confined to their homes right now. You can hardly ever get a billion people to do anything. But this crisis has made governments shut down entire nations. One billion people across North America and Europe. And then a billion more people have remained indoors in the nation of India alone as on Sunday, the 22nd of March, they, of course, set a curfew and mandated stay at home for the people there in that country. So uh, at least 2 billion people around of the world of our 7 billion are being shut up and shut in. So needless to say, we're all adjusting to having our lives and our schedules upended by this thing called social distancing. Of course, God's people are, I believe right now, suffering in a unique way because we feel the pain of not being able to gather for worship. But of course, we do have the modern marvel of technology which allows us to connect with you right there in the comfort of your home and yes, even around the world through this virtual church. Of course, technology is great as long as it works and uh I don't care how convenient it may be, I'm still getting used to preaching to empty pews, so bear with me. But as I began to think about our current situation, I was reminded how on several occasions in the Scriptures we find 
beloved characters, isolated, and yes, maybe we might even use the word quarantined for short times. For example, we think about David was thrown, was thrown in the lion's den alone. Uh, we might reference Paul who suffered solitary confinement in the dreaded that locked in and the key thrown away. That was the worst jail in the world at that time. And then maybe we think about Jonah. He was swallowed up by the great fish and he spent three days and three nights in the belly of that beast all by his lonesome. And so as you begin to study the trials of many of God's people down through the years, you realize that, hey, social distancing has actually been part of God's character building program down through the ages. And even though social distancing puts us in a place where we may not be used to, or a place that we may not prefer, the reality is, as you read the Scripture, God expects us to redeem the time. And there is much that we can learn in our spiritual lives as we are all forced now into isolation. And so in this message, what I want to do is use that idea of social distancing as a springboard to highlight several cases throughout the Scriptures where God quarantined certain people and what He did in their situations and what we can learn from that. And so, Lord willing, I've got five lessons tonight that I hope that we can learn. Number one, I want you to see this. Isolation teaches us about the praise of God. First off, it teaches us about the praise of God. And we learn this from the life of David. Now, there's two times in David's life where he had to seek refuge in a cave as he was running from the murderous man named Saul. Once, in 1 Samuel 22, he was holed up in the cave of Adullam. And then again, in 1 Samuel 24, we find him seeking refuge in the cave of En Gedi. Now, David wrote two psalms in the caves. He wrote Psalm 142, and then he wrote Psalm 57. And in Psalm 57, we get a window into David's emotional and spiritual condition as he penned this poem in a dark, dank place. Now, whether David was in the cave of Adullam or in Gedi, we aren't sure when he wrote Psalm 57. But I want you to listen to the words of this psalm. It's not very long, but it is powerful. Now, the psalm has two sections. In the first verses, David rehearses his problems to God. And in verses 6 through 11, David then turns and pivots and recites his praise to God. And isn't that a good formula that we can take in our prayer life? We can tell God about our problems and then we can eclipse those problems with praise. So isolation teaches us about the praise of God. Listen to what David said. Psalm 57, starting in verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Verse 8. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp, and I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. Verse 10. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Now, I don't know if you were counting as I read through that psalm, but there were four I wills of David in that passage. I will sing. I will praise. 
he made the decision that he was going to praise God. Despite the fact that his life was in peril, he decided, hey, I've got a choice here, and I think I'm going to rise up with the sun each day and praise God like a rooster crowing in the barnyard. David chose praise over panic. And in the cave, uh, you notice that he finds a way to sing to God because I believe he had been given a promise of God. God had already promised him the throne. He knew that that is where he was headed. And when you have a promise of God, no matter what situation you find yourself in, when you lean on that promise, you find reason for praise. Now, we have that same choice today, don't we? It takes, I believe, as much energy to praise as it does to panic. One leads to peace, and the other just multiplies problems. So we get our choice. I'm going to choose the one that leads to peace. And like David, you and I as the children of God have been given so many precious promises. No, we may not be where we want to be right now, but God will get us out and God will get us through just as the cave wasn't the final destination for David. God had a destiny for him. God was working in his heart and God was getting him to where he wanted him to be. And friend, that's what God's promise is for us today. We praise. He's going to get us out. He's going to get us through. And friend, I would rather praise God and praise my way out of a cave than give in to fear and anxiety and panic and worry like the rest of the world is. Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, she had some profound wisdom. Listen to what she wrote in one of her books. She said this, quote, When we praise God in times of trouble, it's like turning on the lights in our hearts and minds. All the little fears and worries which like mice and cockroaches had been nibbling away at us in the darkness suddenly scuttle for cover. I have learned, she said, that worry and worship cannot exist in the same heart. So just as light drives away dark, we can dispel worry with worship. You know what we need to do as God's people? We need to learn from David and just rise up and say, I'm going to sing in the middle of my storm. I'm going to praise at my problems. And I am not going to be dragged down by the lies of the enemy because my God is good, my God is great, my God is faithful, and my God knows how to get me out of the situation that I'm in. In, in her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom, writes about how she survived the horrors of the Holocaust and how she was sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And there, Corey and her sister Betsy managed to smuggle a Bible into that camp. And she talked about how that each night in the barracks, they would huddle those women in that room together and they would read a passage from the Bible. And often they would sing a hymn to lift their spirits. And she said that in that experience, many women there were hearing the Bible for the first time. And they were hearing hymns of the faith that they would never heard before. And so they just caught on and learned. She said also that some of the women spoke different languages. And so they would have to translate what they were reading or what they were singing into another language. And she said there in that barrack, there would be Four or five different languages going back and forth in song and in the recitation of Scripture. And here's what Corey Ten Boom wrote about that. 
She said, in our darkness, we would hear life-giving words sang and recited in French and Polish and Russian and Czech and Dutch and German. We gave praise in our problems, she said. And this, I believe, was a little preview of heaven. These evenings beneath the light bulb were holy moments. As we praise God in that hell, she said, we learn that darkness doesn't dispel God's truth. In fact, God's truth shines more clear. What a great encouragement to us tonight. So, as we talk about social distancing, what do we learn? Well, we look at the life of David and we see that isolation teaches us about the praise of God. And then we see number two, that isolation teaches us about the provision of God. And I learned this from the life of Elijah. If you're taking notes, we're going to go to 1 Kings 17. And we're going to notice here that at the outset of Elijah's ministry, we see him marching into the throne room of wicked King Ahab. And there he pronounces a three and a half year drought as God's judgment on this idolatrous nation. And Elijah proclaims to Ahab that God is shutting up the heavens. That there's going to be no rain or dew for three and a half years. And then after he does that, God tells Elijah, I want you to retreat to the wilderness, go to the brook Kareth, and hunker down, Elijah. So he was there all by himself. Many of you know what happened next. Listen to 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 2. And then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and stayed by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. And listen to this, verse 6, The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. You just thought Amazon was innovative when they thought they had an idea about delivering packages with drones. God already thought about that a long time ago, except he used the ravens. Now notice here, Elijah is forced to rely on God for his daily bread in isolation. And in this early part of his ministry, boy, is he getting some faith-building lessons for life. But notice this, he could not enjoy the blessing of God. He could not understand the provision of God until he went to the exact place where God told him to go. Go to the brook Kareth. And what I see about this is that God's provision is tied to our obedience. And He will always provide as we trust in Him. Friend, I am testimony today about God's goodness. Can I just brag on Jesus for a little bit, church? Uh, let me tell you, I've never had to eat out of a trash can, praise God. I've never had to spend a night on a park bench. Uh, I've never had to do without shoes or clothing on my back. Listen, God's been good to me. God has provided every need, even surpassing, gave me more than I ever needed and wanted or deserved. He's been a good God to me. And isn't it interesting here that as we read this, in, uh, this story out of Elijah's life, 
that God uses of all things to deliver the food to him, he uses ravens. Now that's interesting because if you know anything about the book of Leviticus, especially Leviticus chapter 11, where it outlines the clean and unclean animals, in verse 15 of that chapter we learn that a raven was an unclean bird. And you know why? Because they feasted on meat and the carcasses of leftover animals. And so we see here that God met Elijah's need in a unique way and through the most unlikely means possible. Now let's pause and let's think about our current situation. You, I know, have been to the grocery store lately. If you're watching here in the United States, uh, let me tell you, uh, you want an education in foolishness, just go to the grocery stores right now. And so many people today are worried about, am I going to have enough? That's what the world is worried about. That's why they line up before the doors even open at Sam's Club and Walmart. That's why you see people fighting one another like a bunch of fools over a case of toilet paper. I still ain't figured that one out. But folk today are worried, even God's folk may be worried about, am I going to have enough to get me through? Do I have enough milk and bread and eggs and toilet paper? Am I going to have enough money to get through? And the tendency in the middle of that is to distrust God and to hoard and to be stingy and to get mean and hateful. That's the flesh coming out. But perhaps, friend, maybe the thing that we need to learn in the middle of this situation is that we've trusted too much in ourselves too much in our government, too much in our jobs, and too much in that paycheck. Friend, God feeds me. God takes care of me. He always has. He always will. And I have no need to panic tonight. Because the reality is that everything that we have is a gift. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or turning of shadow. Friend, He's an on-time God. He's never been late. He's always got the meal at the right time. Always paid the bill. No, I haven't had everything that I may have wanted. No, I may have not been able to drive the vehicle that I wanted or live in the place that I wanted to live or take as many vacations as Joe Schmo down the road. But my God said, I'll provide with uh, all your needs according to my riches in glory. I'm telling you tonight, church, there's no shortage in heaven. God's never uh, wrung His hands and said, what am I going to do? How am I going to feed the birds? How am I going to take care of the lilies? How am I going to take care of my prophet down there uh, by the brook Kareth? He's always been faithful. He's always got a way. You see, listen church, the Lord is no doubt testing our faith through this. I'm human just like you. And I've thought those things. Lord, how are we going to get through this? But do we really believe that He can provide for us during this trial? That's what God is testing us in. But here's what I know about my God. If you, te if you test Him, if you trust Him, I believe that through this situation that we're in, people of faith are going to see God meet their needs in some surprising ways. I bet old Elijah was a little bit shocked when he looked and over the horizon, here come a raven flapping across the mountains with a loaf of bread in his mouth. Don't you think that was a comical thing to see? 
Listen, God is not limited. If He can reassign a couple of ravens, and if He can send manna from heaven, and if He can multiply fishes in love, then friend, listen to me, He can take care of your bank account. He can take care of your refrigerator. He can take care of your body and your children and your household. So you might as well praise Him tonight because He's not going to stop being faithful. So you see, that isolation teaches us about the praise of God and the provision of God. You know, I've seen this in my life because I got to be somebody's raven one time. You ever had that happen to you? Have you ever got to meet somebody's need? Well, I'll never forget a few years ago, we took a mission trip down to Honduras. And on that mission trip, we were going into villages and we were delivering food to folk. I mean, you think... You've got it bad, friend? Let's go to a third world country like Honduras where they don't have running water. They don't have a health care system. Where they're living day to day. Where they're taking a bath in a mud puddle. I've seen it with my own eyes. But anyway, we were going to these homes. We were going to these little villages. And when I say homes, I mean they're made of mud and thatch and trash and cardboard and plastic and whatever they can find to put together into a dwelling. So we went into this one little village and we were distributing 25 pounds of rice and beans and corn. We bagged it all up and we were taken into these homes. And we were sharing Christ with the families. After we gave them their food, we were taking our Bible and sharing the gospel with them. Well, we get to this one home and when we walk in the door, this little mother who's got two teenage kids, she starts crying. I mean, she starts bawling before we can ever get a word out. And our translator missionary is there, and I said, what's, I understand that you know, she's overwhelmed. What's going on here? And she began to explain. She said, you don't understand. She said, last night we ran out of food. Did you hear me? She said, last night we ran out of food. We ate our last meal. And she said, this morning we got up, and we didn't have anything to eat, and I gathered my children around and we prayed, God, you're going to have to meet our need. God knew for such a time as that. It was providential that we arrived right at about lunchtime, and we laid that 25 pounds of rice, beans, and corn in her lap. And brother, she had a praise service right there. We pulled out the Bible and we started sharing the gospel. And I got to lead the teenage daughter to faith in Jesus. I'm telling you, I got to be somebody's raven. And God knows how to meet needs. Charles Spurgeon said this about God's promises. He says, I have always lived from hand to mouth, but it's always been from the Lord's hand to my mouth. <laughs> Amen. You see, when God guides, He provides. And so we see that isolation teaches us about the praise of God. And then it also teaches us about the provision of God. And then I want you to see that isolation teaches us about the presence of God. The presence of God. You know, if you were to take the Gospels and look at Jesus' life, there's about 52 days of Jesus' life within the Gospels. And boy, were those days jam-packed full of activity. It's safe to say that there's few people that are as busy as Jesus was when He was here ministering to the needs of people. And that's why oftentimes as you read the Gospels, you see Jesus retreating from the crowds 
and finding the solace in the presence of His heavenly Father. Jesus was fully human. He got tired. He got hungry. He got weary from ministry. Uh, He got tired of, of all of the things that go on with preaching and teaching and giving. And He needed time with His heavenly Father. He needed time to recharge and regroup. And so, listen to what Mark 135 says. You talk about self-imposed quarantine. Listen to this. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, social distancing, and there he prayed. Again, Luke 6, 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray And he continued all night in prayer to God. Now if Jesus, who is the sinless Son of God, needed time with the Father, then friend, how much more do we as sinners? And the only way, friend, that we can find and we can hear the still, small voice of God is we've got to get away from the distractions and the devices and the demands of life. Because all of that... White noise drowns out what God wants to say to us. And we've got to disconnect. And what better time to do that than right now when we're hunkered down. You see, and I'm guilty of this, but so many of us have slammed our schedules with so much activity that we don't have time for God. We give God the leftovers. And if we have any spare time at the end of the day, right as we're dozing off, we might mutter up a prayer to God. But I saw something on Facebook. I saw a meme that I thought was great. Listen to what I saw on that message. It said this, No movies, no concerts, no sporting events, no travel, no social gatherings, not even church, limited workload. Now that I have cleared your schedule, can we talk? Signed, God. I don't know who wrote that, but I thought, wow, that's exactly the situation that we are in. Philip Yancey, great writer, I respect. He has so many books that have blessed me, but in one of his prayer books, listen to what he said. He said, often it's my needs that drive me to prayer. And it is there where I come face to face with my greatest need, which is an encounter with God. Prayer, I have learned, he says, is an exercise in self-forgetfulness. In the presence of God, we experience a realignment of everything. Isn't that true in your life? And then he says this, prayer is not for God. Prayer is for us. Because in His presence, he said, God changes us and that changes everything. Wow. What a lesson we need to learn. I once read about a missionary in Africa who led several villagers to Christ. And in that discipleship process, the missionary was teaching them about the importance of a daily quiet time, a daily time of prayer with the Lord. And he taught these first believers that what they needed to do was to go outside of their homes, into the brush, and find a solitary place where they could have an altar with God. And he said that these villagers actually created footpaths through the brush to their special prayer spots. I mean, they wore a path going out of their house into 
the woods or the jungle there to where they would pray. But then he said, this missionary said that he noticed that when grass began to cover over these trails, it was evident that that person wasn't going out to pray and wasn't going out to seek God because the grass had grown over the path. And whenever the missionary noticed an overgrown prayer path, he would lovingly go to that brother or sister and he'd say, Friend, I noticed that there's grass growing on your path. Hey, listen, is there grass growing on your path today? Uh, Maybe God has uh, set aside the church for just the time as this so that we can listen up to what He wants to say to us. Maybe it's time to turn off the TV and stop listening to the news and get off of the social media and get along with God and we might just be surprised at what He wants to say to us through His Spirit and through His Word. So we see that isolation teaches us many things. It teaches us about the praise of God. It teaches us about the provision of God. It teaches us about the presence of God. And then number four, I want you to see that isolation teaches us about productivity for God. Productivity. Now when we think about quarantine, there is no better example than the Apostle Paul. Because here's a man who spent many of his prime years under house arrest or in a Roman jail. But even though Paul couldn't minister in the way that he was accustomed to, he made the most of the situation by writing letters to churches or to pupils that he had been mentoring, guys like Timothy and Titus. And it's a good thing that when Paul got in that house arrest situation, that he just didn't fold up his hands and say, well, I've done all for God that I can do. I'm in prison here. And I'm glad that Paul didn't have a pity party and just give up because if he did, this Bible right here would be a lot thinner. Because do you know what Paul did while he was in isolation? He picked up the pen and said, I can't go to those churches, but I can disciple them and teach them and write to them from long distance. Listen to this. The so-called prison epistles. You know where they are in your Bible? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those four precious letters were written by Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome. They think between the years 60 and 62 A.D. And in one of those prison epistles, uh, book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, listen to the sage advice that Paul gives us. He says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Boy, if there was ever a verse for right now, that would be it. Therefore, he says, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, as you read that verse, you need to understand that's the biblical equivalent of the Latin phrase carpe diem. You hear it every year when the seniors are getting ready to graduate high school or college. It means seize the day. That's really what Paul is talking about there. Understand the time in which you are in and go out and seize the day. Don't let it be wasted. Don't let the grass grow under your feet. You listen, even though we may be shut in, it doesn't mean that we can't be productive for the Lord. We can still serve God in our quarantine. Paul did it, and so many others did. So rather than binging on Netflix or playing video games or 
uh, mindlessly scrolling through social media, why not redeem that time, that extra time that we've got sitting at home for some kind of spiritual enrichment, for prayer, for worship, or even, yes, ministry. The technology that we have today at our fingertips is amazing. We can instantly connect with people all over the world. I told you a few minutes ago about a guy in India. I've never been to India. I'm a redneck from South Harmony. When I saw his name, brother, I could hardly pronounce it. But we decided we're going to continue our ministry here. No, it's not ideal and it's not what we would want to do, but we'll put it out there. And through the miracle of technology, this little church has impacted people in India. I had a guy from India write me and say, Hello, brother, my name is so-and-so, and and I've been watching your services. I've been listening to your music. He said, I've been blessed. It's awesome. I've been sharing it with all my friends. We couldn't do that even 10 years ago. But we've got that ability today, and we've got the downtime right now. Why not redeem the time and use it for ministry, for gospel purposes? Listen, what if you made a video and you told the world your testimony? How many times have you shared your testimony some christians go their whole life and they don't ever tell anybody how they came to know the lord it's real easy to share your testimony who you were before jesus what led you to jesus and what god has done for you what jesus has done to change your life now what if you made a video on your phone or on your computer whatever device that you've got and you posted it you got the time to do it you might as well and just share your testimony you never know how god might use that to bless somebody or challenge somebody, what if you started a blog? It's so easy. What if you put all your friends on an email list and you said, well, all right, I've got this downtime. I'm going to write a devotional today and pick out a scripture and, and write about it and send it out. And you never know how that might bless somebody. Uh, those of you that are technological, take your phone and turn on FaceTime, turn on Zoom and uh, call a friend and do a Bible study. You can do that now, and it's absolutely amazing. The possibilities are endless, but the point is this. We don't have to be in the church to be the church. (laughs) The church isn't about a building. And maybe God has dispersed us and isolated us at this time so that we can learn to be the church outside these four walls. Because, friend, when the blessing of gathering together is taken away, we got to begin to think creatively and think differently and say, all right, I'm in quarantine. I'm not in my regular routine, but bless God, I'm going to serve Him anyway. God, help me open up doors and open up my mind to other possibilities that I hadn't thought of. And God will do it. Lastly, number five. What does isolation do for us? What does social distancing have to do with the Christian? Well, we learn, number one, about the praise of God And we learn about the provision of God. And we learn about the presence of God and how to be productive for God. But then lastly, listen to this. Isolation teaches us about the perspective of God. The perspective of God. And I take this from Revelation chapter 1. There we find John, one of Jesus' inner disciples, And he gets the most stunning vision of Christ. And where is he? He's exiled on the penal colony of Patmos. And in that barren place, John thought 
I have been abandoned. I have been forgotten by my Lord. But what we find out is that God knew exactly where John was. And He knew exactly how to find His beloved. And John received the most wonderful comfort in that isolation. He got a perspective of the glorified Christ. And that Christ was walking through the lampstands which represents the seven churches of Asia Minor. Listen to what the Word of God says, starting in verse 12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze refined in the furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held up the seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, he said, I fell down at his feet as though dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. What is God saying to you tonight, Christian? Fear not. Why? Because I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Think about the perspective that John got in his quarantine. The imagery is so provocative here. The long flowing robe and the golden sash. That speaks of Christ's regal nature as the King of kings. The whiteness of his hair goes back to Daniel chapter 7. He is the Ancient of Days. It speaks of His eternality. It speaks of His wisdom. The eyes of fire speak of His omniscience, that His gaze goes across the whole world, that God sees and knows and cares. The feet of brass, that's a picture of God's judgment. And then the sword coming from the mouth, the power of the Word of God. And then His face shining like the noonday sun, a picture of His purity and His holiness. And as John saw and beheld Jesus, the risen, regal Savior, walking among the churches, here He is given a rare perspective. That no matter what the church is going through, whether it be poverty, or whether it be persecution, or yes, even if it's a pandemic, Jesus is in the midst And He has taken His hand and His hand is still on the wheel. He's in the midst and it's all moving according to His plan. Nothing has been disrupted in the plan of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Time alone can get you some much needed perspective. Time alone allows you to pull back from the fray and see things for a second the way that God sees things and be reminded that yes, everything seems like it's falling out of place, but maybe it's all falling into place exactly where God wants it to be. And we've learned through this ordeal about the uncertainty of life that we as a nation aren't as powerful, aren't as impervious as we think we are. That we can't rely on our military 
for our strength. We can't rely upon the almighty dollar to save us. We've learned about the uncertainty of life. We've got some perspective about the sufficiency of Christ. That He is enough. And when God's people do depend upon Him, they feel that peace that passes all understanding. We've been given a wake-up call to repent as a church of the things uh, of unbelief, that we should seek God's mercy, that sinners are being spoken to by God right now. And we've come to appreciate another perspective, the simple blessings that we take for granted, like being able to gather and worship, the blessing of church family. Another perspective that, we're, that I was given as I was sitting in bed last night thinking about where our world was. And I saw the panic. And I saw the fear. I began to finally understand this is just a little glimpse of what the world is going to fall into when the trumpet is blown and the church is taken out. And if you think it's bad now, God really hasn't even started dealing with this country and this world the way that He will later on in the book of Revelation. And now I can see, oh my goodness, how urgently we need to be sharing Christ because folk really are without hope. I finish with this. Talk about perspective. One day, a weary father returned from home. He was exhausted from a day's work. He couldn't wait to fall in his favorite chair and relax a little bit. And as he dragged himself through the door, he plopped down and turned on the TV, and his five-year-old boy rushed up to the chair. Daddy, let's play! You dads know what I'm talking about. The little father knew that he needed to spend time with his son, but he also knew that, man, i got to get a breather before I do this. And so he looked around for a little bit of a distraction. And he noticed there on the coffee table a magazine. And on the, the picture that was open in that magazine was a picture of the world. And he got a pair of scissors and he cut up that picture, cut it up into little scraps. And he put it down there on the table and he said, son, I, I need five minutes. He said, why don't you go off and... Put together this picture that I've cut up. It's like a puzzle. Put it back together and come and show me. And when you get it done, then we'll play. Well, the boy whizzed off. And the dad thought, well, I've got at least 10, 15 minutes on my hands now. But about two or three minutes later, whoosh, the boy came right back in. And he looked down and he said, oh, my goodness. The, this picture of the earth is perfectly put back together again. And the dad was so surprised. And he looked at his boy and he said, Son, how did you do that so quickly? And the boy said, Well, Daddy, it was simple. He said, You see, on the back of these pieces was a picture of a man. And when you put the man together, then the world comes together. And friend, that's the perspective of God that we need. Uh, that little boy was on to something. Uh, this world is uh, broken and this world is needing hope and this world is needing a touch of God and there's a man named Jesus and friend when you look to him the pieces come together and it all gets put back in its right perspective you see when he comes to rule and reign friend oh it's all going to fall into place but if you don't know him now as your savior I implore you cry out to him 
He wants to save you. He wants to give you joy and love and forgiveness and peace. And Jesus Christ will take the various puzzle pieces and He'll put it together and give you a new perspective on life. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I thank You for this time. I pray that this message has been a blessing. Lord, if there's somebody out there who doesn't know You as their personal Savior, God, I pray that You'd reach them. I pray, Lord, that You would help them to understand their need for Christ right now. I pray, Lord, that they would confess their sins. I pray, Lord, that they would trust in You as the sacrificial Lamb of God who's risen and ruling. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.